Chapter 3 of the Spanish Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adelda Pinurole. The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. Chapter 3 Sword and Cassock. The helmet and the cap make houses strong. A Spanish proverb. Don Manuel Alvarez stayed for several days at Nuera, as the half-ruined castle in the Sierra Morena was styled. Grievous during this period were the sufferings of Dolores, and unceasing her efforts to provide suitable accommodation, not merely for the stately and fastidious guest himself, but also for the troop of retainers he saw fit to bring with him, comprising three or four personal attendants, and half a score of men-at-arms the last perhaps really necessary for a journey through that wild district. Don Manuel scarcely enjoyed the situation more than did his entertainers, but he esteemed it his duty to pay an occasional visit to the estate of his orphan nephews, to see that it was properly taken care of. Perhaps the only member of the party quite at his ease was the worthy Fray Sebastian, a good-natured, self-indulgent friar, with a better education and more refined taste than the average of his order fond of eating and drinking, fond of gossip, fond of a little superficial literature, and not fond of troubling himself about anything. He was comforted by the improved fare Don Manuel's visit introduced, and was, moreover, soon relieved from his very natural apprehensions that the guardian of his pupils might express discontent at the slowness of their progress. He speedily discovered that Don Manuel did not care to have his nephews made good scholars. He only cared to have them ready, in two or three years, to go to the University of Complutum, or to that of Salamanca, where they might remain until they were satisfactorily provided for, one in the army, the other in the church. As for Juan and Carlos, they felt, with the sure instinct of children, in this respect something like that of animals, that their uncle had little love for them. Juan dreaded, more than under the circumstances he need have done, two careful inquiries into his progress, and Carlos, while he stood in great outward awe of his uncle, all the time contrived to despise him in his heart, because he neither knew Latin, nor could repeat any of the ballads of the Cid. On the third day of his visit, after dinner, which was at noon, Don Manuel solemnly seated himself in the great carved armchair that stood on the estrada at one end of the hall, and summoned his nephew to the side. He was a tall, wiry-looking man, with a narrow forehead, thin lips, and a pointed beard. His dress was of the finest mulberry-colored cloth, turned back with velvet. Everything about him was rich, handsome, and in good keeping, but without extravagance. His manner was dignified, perhaps a little pompous, like that of a man bent upon making the most of himself, as he had unquestionably made the most of his fortune. He first addressed Juan, whom he gravely reminded that his father's imprudence had left him nothing save that poor ruin of a castle, and a few barren acres of rocky ground, at which the boy's eyes flashed, and he shrugged his shoulders and bit his lips. Don Manuel then proceeded, at some length, to extol the noble profession of arms, as the road to fame and fortune. This kind of language proved much more acceptable to his nephew, and looking up, he said promptly, 
Yes, senor, my uncle, I will gladly be a soldier, as all my fathers were. Well spoken. And when thou art old enough, I promise to use my influence to obtain for thee a good appointment in his imperial majesty's army. I trust thou wilt honor thine ancient name. You may trust me, said Juan, in slow, anxious tones. Then, raising his head, he went on more rapidly. Beside his own name, Juan, my father gave me that of Rodrigo, born by the Cid Roy Diaz, the Campeador, meaning no doubt to show. Peace, boy, Don Manuel interrupted, cutting short the only words that his nephew had ever spoken really from his heart in his presence, with as much unconsciousness as a countryman might set his foot upon a glowworm. Thou wert never named Rodrigo after thy Cid and his idle romances. Thy father called thee so after some madcap friend of his own, of whom the less spoken the better. My father's friend must have been good and noble like himself, said Juan proudly, almost defiantly. Young man, returned Don Manuel severely, and lifting his eyebrows as if in surprise at his audacity, learn that a humbler tone and more courteous manners would become thee in the presence of thy superiors. Then, turning haughtily away from him, he addressed himself to Carlos. As for thee, nephew Carlos, I hear with pleasure of thy progress in learning. Fray Sebastian reports of thee that thou hast a good ready wit and a retentive memory. Moreover, if I mistake not, sword cuts are less in thy way than thy brother's. The service of the Holy Mother Church will fit thee like a glove. And let me tell thee, boy, for thou art old enough to understand me, tis a right good service. Churchmen eat and drink well. Churchmen sleep soft. Churchmen spend their days fingering the gold other folk toil and bleed for. For those who have fair interest in high places, and shuffle their own cards deftly, there be good fat benefices, comfortable canonries, and perhaps, who knows, a rich bishopric at the end of all, with a matter of ten thousand hard ducats at the least, coming in every year to save or spend, or lend, if you like it better. Ten thousand ducats, said Carlos, who had been gazing in his uncle's face, his large blue eyes, full of half-incredulous, half-uncomprehending wonder. Ay, my son, that is about the least. The Archbishop of Seville has sixty thousand every year, and more. Ten thousand ducats, repeated Carlos again in an awestruck whisper. That would buy a ship. Yes, said Don Manuel, highly pleased with what he considered an indication of precocious intelligence in money matters. An excellent thought that is of thine, my son. A good ship, chartered for the Indies, and properly freighted, would bring thee back thy ducats well perfumed, for a ship is sailing while you are sleeping. As the saying is, let the idle man buy a ship or marry a wife. I perceive thou art a youth of much ingenuity. What thinkest thou, then, of the church? Carlos was still too much the child to say anything in answer except, If it please you, senor my uncle, I should like it well. And thus, with rather more than less consideration of their tastes and capabilities than was usual at the time, the future of Juan and Carlos Alvarez was decided. When the brothers were alone together, Juan said, Dolores must have been praying Our Lady for us, Carlos. An appointment in the army is the very thing for me. 
I shall perform some great feat of arms, like Alfonso Vives, for instance, who took the Duke of Saxony prisoner. I shall win fame and promotion, and then come back and ask my uncle for the hand of his ward, Doña Beatrice. Ah, and I, if I enter the church, I can never marry, said Carlos rather ruefully, and with a vague perception that his brother was to have some good thing from which he must be shut out forever. Of course not, but you will not care. Never a whit, said the boy of twelve, very confidently. I shall ever have thee, Juan. And all the gold my uncle says churchmen win so easily, I will save to buy our ship. I will also save, so that one day we may sail together. I will be the captain, and thou shalt be the mass priest, Carlos. But I marvel if it be true that churchmen grow rich so fast. The cura in the village must be very pure, for Diego told me he took old Pedro's cloak because he could not pay the dues for his wife's burial. More shame for him, the greedy vulture. Carlos, you and I each have half a ducat. Let us buy it back. With all my heart, it will be worth something to see the old man's face. The curate is covetous rather than poor, said Juan. But poor or no, no one dreams of your being a beggarly cura like that. It is only vulgar fellows of whom they make parish priests in the country. You will get some fine preferment, my uncle says, and he ought to know, for he has feathered his own nest well. Why is he rich when we are poor, Juan? Where does he get his money? The saints know best. He has places under government, something about the taxes, I think, that he buys and sells again. In truth, he's not one to measure oil without getting some on his fingers. How different from him our father must have been. Yes, said Juan, his riches, won by his own sword and battle-axe, and his good right hand, will be worth having. Aye, and even worth seeing, will they not? So these children dreamed of the future, that future of which nothing was certain, except its unlikeness to their dreams. No thing was certain, but what was only too probable, that the brave, free-hearted boy, who had never willingly injured anyone, and who was ready to share his last coin with the poor man, would be hardened and brutalized into a soldier of fortune, like those who massacred tribes of trusting, unoffending Indians, or burned Flemish cities to the ground amidst atrocities that even now make hearts quail and ears tingle. And yet worse, that the fair child beside him, whose life still shone with that childlike innocence which is truly the dew of youth, as bright and as fleeting, would be turned over, soul and spirit, to a system of training too surely calculated to obliterate the sense of truth, to deprave the moral taste, to make natural and healthful joys impossible, and unlawful and degrading ones fearfully easy and attainable to teach the strong nature the love of power, the mean the love of money, and all alike falsehood, cowardice, and cruelty. End of chapter 3 Recording by Adelde Pinaroles